Welcome to another episode of Leader Generation brought to you by ModUp. I'm your host, Tessa Berg, and today I am joined by Jonathan Burke. He is ModUp's EVP of Web3 and Business Innovation. Jonathan, thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me. We've been wanting to have this conversation for a long time. Super pumped. Yeah. Let's start with what is yes. your background and how did you get into Web3 and really looking at this innovation space for marketers? Great question, Tessa. Thank you. I hope you're having a wonderful Wednesday. <laughs> so I spent 25 years, most of my career in the entertainment marketing space, entertainment, advertising, and marketing. I, a while ago, I ran the main trade magazine in the advertising industry called Boards Magazine, working with a lot of the agencies, ad agencies, and creative agencies, and helping them navigate the changes that were coming their way through our publication and through our conferences and events, really trying to bring new thinking and introduce them to new technologies and innovations that were going to be impacting their businesses and that of their clients. Following that, I uh, became the CEO of an organization called Promax BDA, which was the Global Association for Entertainment Marketing Executives. So the chief marketing officers of all the major media companies, ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox, Turner, Viacom, Warner Brothers, Sony, et cetera. Anybody involved in the entertainment space, we kind of ran alongside the Emmys. The Emmys really celebrated the content, the work itself, where we were really focused on the, the marketing and monetization of that content. So we were bringing, you know, very similar to when I was at boards, bringing new thinking and innovation, certainly celebrating the work and creative work that was going on in the space, in the promo world, in the marketing world. But really, I felt that our role as a global association was to bring in the people and companies that were innovating in the media landscape and helping to make the connection between those CMOs and their departments and the technology companies. So we were, you know, really early in, you know, back in the day, bringing in the leaders, you know, of Facebook and Twitter and all these big media companies, these social media companies and tech companies and introducing them to the CMOs and helping to sort of bridge the knowledge gap between what was going on and where the media landscape was headed and the CMOs who were really going to get us there. Following Promax, uh, I was executive vice president of Shazam, and uh, which we obviously sold to Apple in uh, 2012, 2013. And after that, I launched a uh, startup in the legal tech space, playing with the early AI and machine learning landscape. We built a legal tech platform that was basically telehealth for divorce, teaching machines how to predict and prevent conflict from happening between parents who were in a co-parenting relationship and keeping them out of court. That was very cool. But we sold that company in 2021. And as we were in sort of that transition period, uh, I was doing some work in politics and uh, ended up working with a guy named Brock Pierce as his head of fundraising for his presidential campaign. Brock is one of the early uh, sort of granddaddies of the NFT Web3 space. He made billions, for those that don't know him, he made uh, billions selling. Well, he started off as a child actor. He was young Emilio Estevez in, in Mighty Ducks, and he was the kid and first kid with Sinbad. That's how I know and love him. But he uh, made billions selling digital assets in World of Warcraft to gamers all over the world who were buying and selling swords and shields and armor and skins and was really the precursor to what we see now in the NFT space and this Web3 world. So he made a lot of money and, and ran for president of the United States. And I ended up being his head of fundraising for um, his presidential campaign which was really my entree and onboarding into the Web3 space. He's the one who taught me about crypto and NFTs, which was a pretty damn good teacher. So when I sold my uh, last company, 
and wanted to get back into media, but really wasn't that thrilled with what was going on in the space. It had become very monotonous and quite dull with the fragmented audiences. I just really thought that what was happening in Web3 was so much more exciting, especially when it came to marketers. And I knew just because that's where I've always been, I had a sense that every company, I mean, every company is going to be in Web3. It's very, very clear, uh, very clear to me and very clear to many that every company is going to be playing in that Web3 space in a very short period of time. I, I predict like the next you know, three years or so. And I also know they don't know how to get there, certainly in the, in the entertainment side of things. You know, the typically new technologies fall on the laps of the marketing executives. They're the ones who had to figure out the internet. They're the ones who had to figure out interactive television. They're the ones who had to figure out PDAs and social media and mobile marketing. And Web3 is no different. But it takes time. It takes a thoughtful approach. And I thought it would be smart to start an agency that helped marketing executives enter Web3. I know they're not structured to do that internally. I know their departments aren't incentivized to do that. And so starting an agency that would help them take those really important, meaningful steps into the space, start to learn, start to build internal expertise, um, start to play and experiment, succeed, fail drive revenue, and just learn the mechanics of the Web3 landscape. So that's what we did. We started an agency in the beginning of 2022 and started building from there. That's awesome. So that was the scenic route. I gave you the scenic route. That was the, you yeah. asked the background, I gave you the scenic route. <laughs> well, it's a very robust background. Your journey is very relevant to where we're at today, where we kind of saw this roller coaster ride for Web3. What from your past experience of helping pair marketers with technology better understand it, how does that apply today to bringing marketing executives along to the potential uh, of Web3? Yeah, it's a great question. I've been very fortunate to have found myself in this exact spot several times in the past. I remember when people laughed that we would be using the internet to buy things. I mean, I remember being uncomfortable putting my own credit card into a website that would go into a, I don't know what, and, you know, and all of a sudden, you know, two days later, I'd get like animation sell from Taiwan or something off of eBay or whatever the, whatever the case may be. These waves, and they start off as laps on the beach, and they turn into bigger waves. And then they turn into absolute tsunamis. And those tsunamis wipe companies out. I mean, when technology gets ahead of your marketing plan, you can really find yourself in a detrimental spot. Every point in my career have found myself in this position where we're almost acting as the interpreter, helping marketers understand not just the technology, but the cultural relevance to the generation or the demographic that they're trying to reach. And oftentimes, because young people are really typically the first adopters, you're uh, the earliest adopters, you're looking at a generation that is absolutely going to become your customers tomorrow if they aren't already. So it's hypercritical to start engaging with that community, with that demographic, and it's usually through that medium or through that technology that you're able to do so. So we did this with the internet. <laughs> I mean, I feel very, yeah. I'm purposely keeping my gray hair out of frame so that <laughs> I have gray hair. 
Um, I, I was there for the beginning of the internet. I was, you know, we were there for interactive television. I, I worked in interactive television for a couple of years. We were there for the beginning of PDAs, the, the Newton and the, these technologies that marketers were looking at to, uh, uh, to leverage their capacity and power. I was there for the beginning of social media. I mean, we had Zuckerberg and Sheryl Sandberg speak to our conferences, you know, way back in the day when, you know, really things were just first starting. Chad Hurley from YouTube went literally two weeks after he sold YouTube, speaking to our community and helping them understand how these technologies are going to impact the marketing skill set and the marketing vocation. I've always found it very relevant and very rewarding to help these marketing executives understand where this technology is headed. Um, yeah. I remember one time I brought in the then CEO of, an, of a company that hadn't even launched yet um, to speak with a room full of a thousand marketing executives, people who specifically made TV commercials, like this is what they did. They, they were either the advertising agencies or production companies that made TV commercials. And it was the uh, then CEO of a company that was two weeks from launching called TiVo. It was the first time many of these people had even heard of a technology that was going to allow consumers to skip commercials. Now, I wasn't doing this to scare them to death. I, and some of them were scared to death and mm -hmm. you know, decided to leave and go into real estate. But um, I, we were doing this to expose them to what was absolutely on its way to happening and disrupting their status quo. And Web3 is very much, I believe, and I think it's very safe to say, Web3 is the next phase of technology. It is the next wave of disruption and marketers are going to have to embrace and understand what it is before they get overwhelmed by it. Yeah. So I think a lot of people listening may be skeptical because of negative press around Web3, but you said earlier, you are confident that all businesses, businesses of every type will be in Web3, in Web3 communities using Web3 tools, what gives you that confidence? I mean, we've seen the patterns before. We've seen the patterns before and there, I mean, there's literally too many to name. Yes, definitely there are some pretty unfortunate shenanigans that have been going on in the Web3 world. It's important to know and recognize that pictures of monkeys and cartoon characters and cryptocurrency, like, you know, and crypto scams, et cetera, and things like Pepe and Dogecoin, that's not Web3. It's a part of Web3, but that's not definitive of Web3. There are scammers and there are bad actors and bad players in every sector. It, the fall of FTX is no more about Web3 than the fall of Silicon Valley Bank is to the US economy. It's not representative of the way things are and the way that the vast majority of people in the sector are behaving and representing. Yeah. So to make it a little bit more tangible, because yeah. I feel like the media does gravitate towards these examples. And so if you're only hearing these sound bites, <laughs> You think? Yeah. <laughs> We've got papers to sell, man. <laughs> you like that reference to the online subscription? <laughs> yeah, I click on the headline and then it tells me, oh no, you have to start another subscription. I'm like, I'm done with it. Unlocking the power of AI for agencies. Leaders tell all about AI's impact on talent, operations, and services. With Tessa Berg, Patrick Patterson, James Morse, and Kathy McPhillips. Register for this conference at marketingaiinstitute.com.
MayConAuto.com. Register for MayCon. Get $100 off by putting in the code LEADERGEN100. We hope to see you there. The subscriptions. I don't need to know what's happening in the royal family that badly. But in this case, if other people like me are just reading headlines and so their whole perception of Web3 is based on this, can you give us some real world applications of how businesses are already using Web3 to build community and engage and start to allow people to experience their brand in a, in a different way? Sure. Yeah, I could run through a whole bunch of specific examples of successful Web3 companies and successful Web3 or projects that were built within Web3 that were very successful and continue to be very successful and supportive of brands. Before I get into that, though, I think it's probably helpful to talk about the way that we really view Web3, because if we're only talking about Web3 as a technology, which is, I think, Web3 kind of has this connotation of, you know, very tech heavy, and it is. There's a ton of technology that's going on behind the scenes. But Web3 is also representative of culture. And it's representative of very specifically Gen Z and like late millennial culture. And in order to understand how and why Web3 is happening and it is becoming the dominant medium to engage with this generation, it's important to understand what this generation grew up with, what their expectations are, what their media habits and consumption habits already are, and why they're really going to be the ones to shepherd in this, this new technology. It's very similar, by the way, to the way that millennials shepherded in social media, their expectation, their desire, uh, growing up in a world where they didn't know the world without an internet, and seeing the power of interconnectability through these social media channels could flourish and connect them with other people throughout the, throughout the world instantly and in real time or asynchronously. So Gen Z, obviously a uh, huge, huge, huge demographic. These are folks typically born between 1995 and um, 2010. It's a you know pretty large cohort of people. These are folks who came to, it came of age during a global pandemic where they were sitting in you know typically their parents' basement. You've got to talk, you've got to paint with a pretty broad brush, but I want to make note that there's a lot of nuance to every generation. There's a lot of um, differences between the kind of medium that we're talking about, but you know, broadly speaking, this is a, this is a generation that came of age in their parents' houses, isolated from their friends at a time where social engagement and person-to-person contact is most critical and most important, and they were they were denied that for the most part. So, and this is a generation that grew up with heavy, heavy, heavy gaming and making friends with people in digital, virtual environments. It's not uncommon for people in the Gen Z generation to have best friends and their most confidential relationships with people they've never met, may not even know their real name, right? These are folks who are existing in these environments, many of them anonymously. Many of them don't show their face like you and I are right now. This is just the way that we grew up, but they use an avatar to represent themselves. Their digital identity is represented with an image or a picture or some way that they can connote and show the tribes that they belong to without showing their face or without giving away their legal name. Make sense? Yes. This is a generation who is super used to digital currency, 
Like they don't spend cash. This is not a generation that even knows what cash is. I don't think they've ever, like many of them have never been to a bank. They bank online and they use digital US currency, but they're also perfectly comfortable using um, native currencies to a game, whether it's Roblox, right? They're, ro you know, they're Robux. They're buying and selling digital assets and things like World of Warcraft and Counter-Strike. Just two weeks ago, there was a Counter-Strike gun skin that sold for a half a million dollars, USD, real, real money. There's real things going on in here. There are real cultural behavioral differences between generations in the past. Mm -hmm. I could go on. There's many, many, many specific cultural touch points that Gen Z relates to that would signify an obvious adoption of these Web3 deployments. Now, I, we, we can talk about the technical stuff. We can talk about the blockchain. We can talk about cryptocurrencies and NFTs and both, uh, metaverses. But, you know, really understanding that from a cultural standpoint is where brands need to be focused, right? They, a lot of people get overwhelmed and scared by the technology and the, the complexity of Web3. But really what we're talking about is how do we engage this demographic? How do we connect with them? And how do we transition even our own thinking as brands from citizens being customers or an audience and becoming community, right? How do we create communities of people who become our biggest champions? How do we help them build share? How do we help build shared value for that community so that with, with authenticity, so that they are, you know, that they develop and extend a loyalty to, um, to us as brands or, or our clients as brands. So that's the scenic, again, the scenic route to your question. Um, and your question was, what are some very specific examples of ways that they, the ways that brands have employed Web3 activations? Yes? Yes. So there's been a couple of very, very big uh, and successful applications. Um, I'd say that the trend right now, I'll start now and I'll move backwards. Um, the trend right now is in loyalty programs, loyalty programs that engage communities and build a, a cyclical relationship. So loyalty programs that create um, uh, an engagement with the brand and the uh, you know, member of that community and incentivizes them and rewards them for doing things that the brand would like them to do. There's a gazillion ways to skin that cat, but loyalty programs are really one of the most successful and, and, and I think exciting applications of this Web3 technology that give you know, that look on the surface and can continue to look on the surface, just like old traditional loyalty programs, but are built on the blockchain and give the members of the community ownership over the assets that they've got and the things that they've accumulated, whether they're collectibles or art or NFTs or currency, um, but it gives them ownership of that. So they can do with it what they want. So if the relationship ends with the brand, or if the brand decides to shift gears or gets purchased or closes down, that user still owns and has access to all of the assets that they've accumulated and, and um, collected since they began in the, in the loyalty program. There's been other applications where brands have activated. We've, we've done a lot of work in, you know, with NFTs and NFT rewards. Uh, we did a activation with CBS a while back where the intent there was to signal twofold. The, the brief was they have a show called Ghosts, which was, uh, you know, was a number one show for CBS. Uh, non-sports, non-news show. And it was doing very well with, you know, their typical demographic, which is 55 plus, but they saw a bump 
with 15 to, 15 to 30 year olds. And so their brief was, how do we get more of those, more of that audience, right? How do we expose more of that audience to the ghosts program? And the answer was, look, there's a lot of them living in the metaverse. Like there's a lot of them living in this web three environment, whatever, whatever kind of term or buzzword you want to use to describe it, but they're living in this digital world. Um, they're not watching TV. So they're not going to see your commercials. They're not going to see your ads and their, your promos promoting ghosts, but we can create an activation in one of the metaverses in which there are thousands and thousands and thousands of people engaging and playing and, you know, uh, congregating and, you know, communicating and transacting. So we built a big, at the time, there was a metaverse called Decentraland, which was very, very large and uh, growing and, you know, kind of a, growing at an explosive rate. And we built an activation there that, uh, that we launched at Comic-Con that allowed people to come and visit. And we rebuilt the mansion that's in the show Ghosts. And we created, you know, NPGs, the, these characters that you could engage with and you'd solve quests. And as you completed these quests, you won NFTs and you collect the NFTs. And when you collect enough NFTs, you could trade it in for something else. And it just created an engagement paradigm that exposed our audience or our community to the show and got them into that sort of funnel where they would become viewers of the show. And it was very successful uh, as, a, uh, as an activation. It also, you know, on an equal level, signaled to Wall Street that CBS understands where their audience is going. And that's really important because 55-year-olds are going to be watching TV for another little while, but the next generation is where the audience is going to be coming from. And CBS knows that, and that was their signal. So we've covered a lot of ground, but if we were to break down even just that example with some of the history you gave, it's brands should start paying attention now because this is where Gen Z lives and plays. And we see a lot of examples from entertainment. And it is often that entertainment is a first mover. But in the story, in the example you just gave, the components can really apply to any business. Go to where your customer's at, find how they want to be entertained, engage, access information. Some of those triggers of like, I get to experience something I love, something I enjoy, but in a different way is, can be very universal for other brands, CPG brands trying to get in. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Have you worked with any sort of products or brands that have taken some of these principles and applied them uh, to web three as a way to get oh, more? Sure. Absolutely. So the, I just gave two very small examples. I gave you a metaverse example and a loyalty program example. We also did some work with um, Boston Pizza on a loyalty program that was, you know, much less, very, I'd go with small budget. It was a very experimental R&D budget and was very successful in engaging people and getting them collecting and coming back to Boston Pizza for, you know, more delicious pizza and collect these loyalty tokens that would open up access and open up opportunities and, you know, open up exclusive access to stuff. We've done straightforward revenue generating programs that, uh, that, you know, are, you know, strictly a collectible NFT that may or may not open up new access and create communities that uh, would have access to things that people without these NFTs don't have. But there are so many examples. Uh, you know, one of the big ones is Nike is launching Dot Swoosh, which is a, effectively, it's a loyalty program that 
engages huge communities and you know can be used to, to in, in a whole bunch of different ways from collecting shoes and being part of you know Nike culture to authenticating uh, rare shoes you know that you might buy on you know StockX or, or wherever so uh, authentication programs. Starbucks launched a huge loyalty program called Odyssey that is extremely successful the most successful loyalty program web3 or otherwise that they've ever had but it also generates revenue for the company it's also generating significant revenue for the company so it it's got a, a double win where you've got uh, customers who are engaged coming back collecting collecting starbucks badges and uh, coming back and continuing to come back for more and being loyal to the brand but it's also generating revenue because you're selling these Starbucks can now sell these badges and people who are really interested in collecting similar to the, the skin, the, the uh, strike, the gun skin, you know, that people are paying money for. They, mm -hmm. they generated $400,000 in, in about 30 seconds in selling one of their uh, more recent badges. So there's some really interesting things going on. It's we're in the early days, which means that there's some great experimentation going on. And many of these brands are kind of catching that lightning in a bottle and really blowing up their success. It's really quite, quite exciting to see. Yeah. I think one of the things I've heard though, that keeps brands from participating in this excitement or even testing is they, and this is the exact same concern I remember. So I'm like an elder millennial. So, you know, when I first entered the workforce, I was automatically an expert in social media. Yeah, 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 totally. Only the person who had used it. Yeah. Um, but I remember getting some of the same feedback that, well, it might damage our brand, or we don't want our brand to appear next to this other type of content that's being generated. Yeah. How, like, what are some things that you're doing in your approach that help brands get more comfortable with sort of protecting and that security and data? I feel like sometimes people, it's not so much that it's technical why they won't get in, it's because they don't know what could happen to their brand, their data, and their privacy once they're in there. It's a fair concern, um, you know, especially for older legacy brands. It's a fair concern, like it was a fair concern when social media and UGC started to, to really explode. But I think in retrospect, most marketers would say that the trade-off was weighted getting in early and starting to experiment and starting to learn how to avoid putting your brand into those positions and into those spots and knowing how to get out of those predicaments when they do arise, because they do, is more important than avoiding it entirely, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the, the fact of the matter is, there's not a brand out there of consequence that isn't involved in social media in some way, right? There's like at this point, now 20 years ago, that's exactly the sentiment. Like, oh, I'm going to wait, I can't do this. I, what if my ad shows up in a, you know, whatever, like I, yeah. I, I really didn't pay too much attention to, because there are plenty of brands that are experimenting. There's like, there's an overwhelming amount of people who want to play in this space and just need sort of the guidance and support to do so. But I think that the trade-off is heavily weighted in get in an experiment, develop the expertise, learn the medium, develop internal institutional knowledge so that when the wave comes, when all of a sudden, you know, I mean, I remember the moment when Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and Snapchat and all that, like it was like a tidal wave and a lot of companies, a lot of brands were left dangling in the wind, trying to get in and they really didn't know where to start. 
and they had not only lost ground to the companies that had gotten in earlier, but now they're overwhelmed by the crushing expense of trying to play catch up. And which is, again, I don't think the trade-off is there. Mm-hmm. So we've covered a lot of ground. I think tons of people have questions. I generally feel like there's an opportunity for us to create a community to give people access to you. But if they wanted to shoot you a message, where can they reach you today? Good question. Well, we were recently acquired. Oh, yeah. They called Mata. <laughs> so, like, yeah. so my number, and maybe we'll post it down here. My email is jonathan.verk at modop.com. J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N dot V-E-R-K at modop.com. Or just call Tessa and she'll, <laughs> you know, that you call. Yes. <laughs> Doesn't, nobody ever hesitates to direct message me. On the- <laughs> I'm just kidding. Don't call Tessa. <laughs> but thank you so much for being our guest. If you want to hear more episodes of Leader Generation, right now it is on LinkedIn. You have to search the Leader Generation podcast. It will be up on modop.com soon, M-O-D-O-P.com. And look forward to another episode where we'll explore more about Web3, AI, machine learning, and all things tech and innovation on marketing. Our next episodes, actually, we will have some guests from Google. We'll be talking about their advances in machine learning and AI and how those are impacting media and measurement across the digital landscape. But thank you, Jonathan, for joining us and talking again soon. See you soon. The Leader Generation Podcast is brought to you by ModOp, a full-service marketing communications agency focused on using the right methods to help clients capitalize on their opportunities. ModOp services for both B2C and B2B markets include brand strategy, advertising, digital marketing, lead generation, and public relations. Through its technology group, ModOp also offers website, e-commerce, and app UX, design, development, and technology stack integration. For more information, visit modop.com. That's M-O-D-O-P dot com. Never miss an episode of Leader Generation from ModOp. Find us in all your favorite podcast venues.